0: Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I thank you so much for spending time with us, especially on this special edition of Tell me your story. I think you're going to uh, enjoy this uh, program. I know I am. Now, of course, normally I would give out all that pertinent information as we are uh, getting started on the interview, but I'm going to hold off on that for right now. Right now, I'm going to introduce to you my guest who is on the on the line uh, via Zoom, which is, of course, what we and most everybody else uh, are using right now. And uh, we hope that you enjoy this program. We're going to be talking with the author of... Uh, A new uh, book, a book that is out, it's called Gift of the Body. It's a multidimensional guide to energy, uh, energy anatomy, uh, as well as grounded spirituality and living through the heart by Jonathan M. Goldman, M. A.C. And Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us on the program. It's great to have you with us.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for the opportunity.
0: Uh, Give us a little bit of a background, if you will. On yourself, in terms of this aspect, uh, especially when I think about, <clears throat> uh, for example, the title or or the the uh, website name that you have, which is essentiallight.org and the Essential Light Institute. I was talking with someone just the other day. We were we were kind of talking about, you know, sin. And how when I was uh, uh, in my 20s and 30s, I used to ponder this and wonder. They talk about it's, uh, you know, sort of the absence of light is what sin is. And and then, of course, someone else said, well, actually, it's not the absence thereof. It's the blocking of the light. In other words, you're in the shadow of something that's. Oh, and then someone said to me yesterday, it's actually not that. It's that you're not facing the light. There's always light. Um, this isn't dealing with that aspect of <clears throat> good and evil per se, but the concept of light permeates, uh, seems to permeate our mythology, our philosophies, uh, you know, and of course our day-to-day lives, because without it, you know, I wouldn't see you, you wouldn't see me, I couldn't see what's in front of me, and so forth. Um, talk to us a little bit about the background, how this, uh, what kind of light are we talking about?
1: Okay, I appreciate the question, because, look, what I've, what I've, The way I frame this, because it's what I've uh, discovered, is that none of what is true depends on philosophy, depends on ideology. In this case, it doesn't depend on religious perspective. What is, is. So light, what I call light, other people call prana, Mm -hmm. chi, essential vibration, permeates everything, as you just said. It's everywhere. It is what, what defines life, right? The difference between an empty shell that then dissolves and goes back to the earth and you and me talking to each other mm-hmm. is life force, vitality, what I call light. So the experience of light is ubiquitous everywhere. And we have in us, us humans have been given four divine gifts, We have consciousness, right? We can be talking, we can set this up, we can exchange ideas, Mm -hmm. we can be aware. We have a body within which that consciousness resides temporarily. We have choice, and we have the ability to actualize choice. We have those four divine gifts. So light, while it is everywhere, can also be focused i have through those gifts of being aware in my body using choice i can link myself with anything i can link myself with the shadow with the negative thoughts i can link myself with uh with you now i can link myself with my own inner self and i can learn how to set up a structure an internal vibratory structure that everybody has built in i can I can activate that, and I can have a relationship with the source of light. In the esoteric world, they call it the sun behind the sun behind the sun, the central sun. Mm-hmm. There is a place from which all this emanates. You don't have to have a belief system to define it. Belief systems are just ways of having conversations. Mm. What we, There is a source of light, and it can be used as an instrument it can be used as an instrument for healing it can be used as an instrument for uh, awareness it can be used as an instrument of guidance in the sense of uh giving a a, a perspective an internal perspective that is just to use the term illuminated It's lit up and one can become a lighthouse a beacon of that, a receptor Mm -hmm. and a transmitter of that light for healing others, for bringing uh, clarity to situations and relationships, it can be done. So what I teach is how to activate that internal structure, which underlies the physical, underlies the mental. It's, it's, It's actually quite simple and anybody can do it. It takes some work, takes mm. some study, takes some time, like anything else that's worth achieving. Right, and we build an internal structure, and then we develop a relationship with light, a conscious relationship.
0: Well, how did you, how did your awareness, if you will, come to this, this uh, um, perspective, if you will, this understanding, I could say philosophy, if you will, but. Uh, it seems like it's, it's something greater than that, if you will.
1: Yeah. Uh, like many people who come to healing work, spiritual work, uh, I had my own trauma and my own need, right? So the initial motivation was uh, I walked around as a 24-year-old person uh, miserable, I, my first real job, first real job I had was I worked in an alcoholic detox in uh, Somerville, Massachusetts, uh, where street drunks would be brought in, the, the cops would bring in mostly men who were sleeping in doorways, who had fallen down, who were injured, and they would bring them in and they'd stay with us for a week and uh, before most of them went back out and did what they did. I was 24 years old. I was fit. I was and it took me an hour every day of doing yoga to be able to walk.
0: Mm. Wow.
1: Yeah. And that I learned later in my late 30s when I had the incredible experience of going to the mountains of Brazil to a spiritual community hidden in the mountains of Brazil, that 85% of what I was carrying, that pain that I had to yoga eyes every day, 85% of that didn't originate with me, that I was an energetic sponge walking Mm -hmm. through the world, absorbing, so to speak, the dirty water of thought, the dirty water of emotion, the dirty water of of all the, you know, what is on some level in this world. So the initial motivation for me was I wanted to feel better. I I need healing for myself, right? At the same time, that all that was happening, I was 24 years old. Uh, I was drawn by intuition to study acupuncture. Hmm. Acupuncture at that time, nobody even knew what the word was, right? It's 1974, 1975. And I was drawn to it. I had, I had a, I explained it in my book. Uh, I don't need to go on it now, but I threw an intu- intuitive uh, message that I got. I searched really all over the world. There were there was no place in the United States. I ended up going to England, studied acupuncture, started practicing acupuncture at the same time that I was doing various kinds of therapies for myself. At some point, I met a Brazilian man who became my psychotherapist and uh, particularly using bioenergetics, which is a form of therapy that releases those energies that I was carrying from the body. So I did that with him for a while. And then after we were done with therapy, he said to me, so we're going to go to Brazil, we're going to go to the mountains of Brazil. And in a, a month, we're going to do the equivalent of uh, 10 years of therapy and 10 years of meditation. What do you think? And I said, wow, <laughs> sounds like a good deal. Let's go. Yeah. you know, <laughs> I had no idea what I was gonna uh, encounter, you know, cause I, my own new framework was what I had already done. So I go to the mountains to this spiritual community of self-selected people, very simple, very poor, super dedicated, beautiful people speaking Portuguese, which I didn't speak at the time and doing a kind of healing work that involved the, the drinking of a tea, which now most people know as ayahuasca. Yes. Right? At the, in that context, it's called Dime, D A I M E, and but again, nobody knew what that was. Now, you know, we, I live in a town. You can drink ayahuasca. You can do whatever. There's many, 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 many people doing this. Back then, uh, 1987. Yeah. Nobody knew what it was, so I go to the there and yeah it was 10 years of therapy and 10 years meditation but it was way more than that what i experienced was in reference to your first question i experienced that light is not a metaphor the vibration of spiritual light is not a metaphor it's not an idea i felt it in my body i saw it in me around me and I discovered totally to my my conscious surprise that I have an innate inbuilt spiritual healing talent. Mm. I had been working d- doing acupuncture doing acupuncture like a like becoming a carpenter. I became I was pretty good. I was a decent acupuncturist. But that what that did was set up the internal uh territory so that when this infusion a very very strong very beautiful but really challenging vibration was set up in my body by the combination of the the tea which is very very provocative and very intense and the ritual space held in a totally safe spiritualized way that combination i was i, I wouldn't say i was ready i was at my edge mm. I, I said, what I say in the book is I felt like I was a, a YMCA basketball player and I was pretty good. And then one day Michael Jordan showed up.
0: <laughs> and that's when you hung up the, the cleat, the the the, the, much, the, shoot, shoot, saw, the sneakers and, and put the basketball on the floor. <laughs> exactly. Pretty much.
1: <laughs> and surrendered. I was like, okay, wow. This is, I don't know nothing about nothing. Okay. So that opened up. That channel for me, I I went back to Boston, right? I had two small kids. I still had an acupuncture practice, but things started happening. Things started happening that I couldn't explain at all. My hands would, would, of their own accord, seeming go and hover over people and heat would come out of them and people would get up and say, okay, I'm fine, thanks. I don't need to come back anymore, right? And that had not been my previous experience. And I started being what I call guided from my own intuition. But as I came to understand also, there were consciousnesses beyond my own. There were worlds that had opened. There were dimensions that had opened. Again, for me, this is not metaphorical and this is not woo-woo stuff.
0: Right, right, This is like,
1: this exists. The woo-woo stuff is, is making up fantasy stories to explain it. It just is what it is. So I started things like that, like someone would grab my hand and hold it over somebody and I would just sit there and the first I didn't feel anything and I'd wait and wait and wait and then it would stop and my other hand would go and things started happening and my acupuncture changed and I started seeing things that I hadn't seen before, right? So that relationship, that visceral internal relationship that was developing, it still is, This and that was 1988. Right. So this whatever, you know, these 32 years later, 33 years later is still developing because all this has layers and dimensions and
0: exactly. Jonathan M. Goldman is my uh, guest here on the program. We're talking about is the essential light. We'll continue our conversation with him here as we continue on. On Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And I'm glad that you've joined us for this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. I uh, am very intrigued, of course, by... Uh, some of the things that I am reading about in regards to your, uh, your institute, as it is called, especially the different, and I've uh, used this term uh, regularly when talking with healers, especially about their various modalities. And in the case of your institute, the Essential Light Institute, and by the way, the website is Essential Light org you use what's called rose breathing you have bio um uh bio etheric body work you also have guided chakra meditation uh experiential um what is this uh dedicate oh my goodness didactic sessions and mm-hmm. then uh, you also have community healing sessions and then uh, ceremonial uh, ceremonial forms, uh, ceremonial forms. Let's talk a little bit about that. I've felt as though one of the things that's missing in our Western culture is just that, ceremony. Um, we just went through a process of not only electing, but then uh, inaugurating a, a, a president, uh, supposedly the The person who will now run the country, uh, uh, you know, he'll be the number one man on the planet, so to speak, uh, on the supposedly the greatest country in the world. And so we have these various rituals and ceremonies, these traditions that are extremely important, whether they be dictated by a document or otherwise. They mean, they have meaning when they are carried out. And it seems to me that whether it's transitioning from childhood to adulthood, male or female, or transitioning from a single life to a a, a partnered life, or whatever the transitions might be. Uh, And I think of the Jewish tradition of the uh, bar mitzvah for the men, and I think it's bat mitzvah for for the women, uh, they become men. And in in olden days or <laughs> in days gone by, that really meant something. And when you were went through that ceremony, they treated you like a man in certain tribes around the world. When they would hold those kinds of ceremonies where they take the boys out into the wilderness, they were coming back as men and that's how they would be treated. But it seems like here in the West, we've we we haven't maintained, retained, or created those kinds of things that are so I think important to maybe define them, but also that bring about certain aspects of our being through those ceremonies. Is that what are your thoughts in that regard? And then I would like to talk about this whole aspect of the ceremonial forms uh, that are employed uh, uh, there at the institute.
1: Really interesting. Uh, question that you're asking, Richard. Look, we, we we made a decision, so to speak, collectively, in this country particularly, where we separated out religion and secularism, right? We, mm-hmm. sep- we, yeah. we said, we think it's going to work better if we leave that to itself. We leave each of those to their, to their yeah. own province. But Okay, every 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 decision has consequences, and one of the consequences is we have uh, relegated, we have despiritualized life. Right. In other words, what I said originally: there are uh, it, you don't have to be a committed, believing religious person to actually experience spiritual reality, because spiritual reality is real. Mm-hmm. Right, you don't need that vehicle. It can be useful. So we separated them, and what we've lost then is exactly what you're saying. We've lost the 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 fusion of the spiritual, spiritual meaning, communing with something beyond oneself, beyond one's obvious person and surroundings. Mm-hmm. So we, we that has been relegated to these little pockets yeah religious pockets and because so those other cultures that you're referring to there is an integration of that and that also has has some uh difficult consequences because there tends to be a dominant religion that dictates everything and you know we see the the, those results too so that's what i see is that we've lost that uh the richness the purpose of ceremony is to create a, a collective safe space for experience. So the Bar Mitzvah, actually the other day, I'm 70 years old, I found pictures st- stored away in a closet of my Bar Mitzvah party mm. when I was 13, right? So I was sitting and going through, oh my God, I remember this, I remember this. What's the purpose of that is for the collective blessing mm-hmm. of that person, that young person to enter Adulthood, yeah, right. It's a collective. The wedding, a wedding is meant to bless this. Like, let's let's everybody be the ring that binds these people together. So when you know, inevitably, when they have to go through the craziness of being married, they have some some uh, 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 momentum and they remember. Yeah, right. So all of these, so this the ceremony that that we do which we learned which i learned from being going to the uh, amazon jungle which i learned from those people in the mountains of brazil which was near rio and which then we've practiced for these 30 years is meant to create a safe vibrationally in uh, uh having vibrational integrity so that people can let down and let that experience in of what we call dropping the veils, right? We live veiled. We live in this world. We're meant to be humans mm-hmm. with a, a human body doing human things. Yeah. But part of the the uh, what has happened from that separation of spiritual and secular is we impose the idea that the veils are are there's nothing on the other side of the veil. So why bother looking? Yeah. Right. This is all right. There's an expression, you know, what you see is what you get. What we forget is we have the ability to see other things, but dropping the veils is a serious business. Dropping the veils is not, there are people that and I'm not supportive of this who just, um, I I talked to somebody yesterday. He says, well, you know, last week I took mushrooms and and then I'm going to take this other thing and then I'm going to smoke some marijuana and I'm going to blah, blah, blah. For me, that's too cavalier. Dropping the veils is a serious thing. We're meant to be humans having a human experience. And so to then invoke, no, I want to see more. I want to open to other realities. I want to open to the other realities inside me primarily. And I want to open to uh, these other vibrational realities that's serious business for me and so we create a space that is held very well professionally if you want to call it that we know what we're doing we have assigned uh, jobs within that and we make sure that everybody who comes is well tended well vetted so that they're so that it's appropriate taken care of has the has the uh, uh, opportunity to drop their veils and see what's on the other side and then recoup themselves so that they can process the experience afterwards.
0: Hmm. It's interesting that, um, I, I'm curious, when you had your bar mitzvah at the age of 13, were you treated any differently afterwards? Not really, yeah, And I'm sure that bar mitzvah took place here in the United States, whereas yeah. I would bet, and then again, I'm just I'm theorizing because I've never been there, I've never experienced this, that if you were had been in Israel, for example, um, and had your bar mitzvah, I'm not sure they would have treated you any differently than before. Uh, and yet, if you were to go back centuries, that probably was different that they did. I remember reading a story about a, a, an African tribe. And the, as I kind of alluded to earlier, they, they took the boys out into the wilderness. And of course, the women, both mothers and daughters and so forth, all of the women, they were weeping and carrying on. But that was all an act because mm-hmm. they knew that this boy was going to come back a man and they would treat him as such when he returned. Yeah. Uh, and that's the biggest difference of all. Um, we're talking with uh, Jonathan uh, M. Goldman. He is uh, the uh, primary uh, director, uh, founder. Am I correct of the Essential uh, Essential Light Institute?
1: Yeah, co-founder.
0: Co-founder up there in Oregon. uh, Ashford, Oregon and Bend, Oregon are the general uh, uh, locations. And uh, you can find out more information, of course, by going to EssentialLight.org and find out more about him, find out more about the work that they do there at the Institute. And Essential Light, at at Essential Light Institute, uh, they believe that healing starts with self-awareness. And as we continue here on... Tell me your story uh, where we bring you uh, uh, choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We hope that you will continue to listen. I wanted to ask you a little bit about the, the uh, uh, concept, if you will, um, if you, if you want to use that term, uh, of the, the, the aspect of healing. Now, when I've had people on who are healers, and they use the very diverse modalities, if you will. I myself happen to be a Reiki master. I uh, mm-hmm. was trained with my wife, uh, good heavens, 20, more than 20 years ago. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and um, the question that I raise stems more from what I experienced at the Christian station I worked for back in the 80s and early 90s when they would have uh, people call in. To uh, seek prayer they had these programs where people would uh, call the phone number and they would say here's the, my condition could you pray for my healing and what that spurred in me after being trained as a Reiki master was the question what is healing what does that mean because um, my training as a Reiki master uh, led me to give an absentee healing to my uncle my father's brother who uh, eventually passed away from his cancer. But before he did so, and after we had sent him the absentee healing, uh, he threw his medications across the room out of frustration and anger, got in his wheelchair, wheeled across the the family uh, compound to where his son lived. Uh, They had, I guess, a a time of uh, father-son bonding and closure. And shortly thereafter, he passed. Well, you know, some would say, well, something went wrong. The the energy that you sent through the Reiki uh, didn't work. And of course, I was taught that's not the purpose of the energy that we send. The purpose is to give that energy through us to that individual or that situation, and it will be used as that person sees fit, not as we see fit. In other words, it's not our intentions. Our intentions are to send the energy to facilitate that person's intentions so let's talk about your concept of healing what is it
1: i like the story look here's what i would say about that story the purpose of healing is to reestablish harmony right in other words we are we are designed to be internally harm, harmonious and to be in harmony with nature of which we are part to be in harmony with our inner self. There are a lot of, we we exist in many levels. So healing is the reestablishment of harmony by the invocation of those forces which have the power to do that. Starting with a person's internal uh, intention Right. When I do healing, the the moment before we actually do the healing work, I have people state what I call their prayer. It doesn't have to be, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, prayer. What do you want? What's your intention? Given all that you know about what's going on with you, we've had this conversation and we've reached a point of clarity as to what's going on. What do you choose? Again, based on those those original what I said, those four gifts. Mm-hmm. So that's number one. Number two, and people inevitably, they're and what I do is I have them frame it positively. Don't frame it negative. Don't frame, I don't want this pain. But if you didn't have this pain, what would you have? Yes. Oh, I would have, uh, my, my life would be in harmony. I would be who I really am. I would have the ability to, you know, like that. So that's number one. Then dep- it depends on the, the modality the various forces are called to do the healing. Mm-hmm. I don't do the healing.
0: Correct. I don't know
1: how to do distance healing. When you did that distance healing for your for your uncle, what, you, what did you, you don't know how to do that. I don't know yeah. how to do that. But somehow we ride the electromagnetic connection between all life yeah. and those forces that, that are responsible for reestablishing harmony because they come from universal harmony to bring us back into harmony because we've gotten off out of harmony for various reasons, mm-hmm. for reasons of trauma, for reasons of habit, for reasons of addiction, for reasons of accidents, for reasons of karma also. All of those come into play. And then what what he true healing does is reestablish that harmony. My experience is in the end of the process, harmony is held and uh, invoked and established by the heart.
0: Hmm.
1: by literally the heart center that is in the center of my your everybody's chest. And so to to shift my loyalty, so to speak my loyalty. Right, You read it in the book, I say, living through the heart, not living in the heart, living through it, mm-hmm. that my, my, my modus operandi of my life becomes to connect with, listen to the voice of intuition in my heart and follow that. And then in the, the arrangement of the energetic system that I am, the heart is put in charge. Mm. that's the end of a healing process because then it's self-sustaining and then my job as the mm. healee as the person who has been healed is to maintain that and strengthen that mm. that center mm-hmm. which then calls everything into to harmony and i'm going to get disharmonized again yeah. right i live in the world you know
0: yeah as they
1: say you know you there, i yeah. was talking to to uh uh Uh, I was talking to actually a being who was speaking through my daughter. And I said, let me ask you a question. You know the answer to this. There are other worlds that have creatures on them, right? She said, of course. And I said, "Uh, I bet there's at least a couple of them that are more harmonious than this one. And she said to me, wouldn't be hard. (laughs) Right? So (laughs) we're, we're, we are, we are sensitive creatures. We are in touch with, uh, with our environment, with the, with the world. We're going to get disharmonious again. So then healing becomes a life path. Mm -hmm. Healing becomes an empowered centered in my heart life path so that I become my own healer and my intuition guides me. Yeah. The other thing I would, I want to say one, one more comment about what you said about the, what happened with your with your uncle, what was the harmony that needed to happen? Right. Everybody's going to die. Right. Everybody's going to die. The goal was not to not die. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The goal is to finish what we came to earth to do. Right. So what was the har- the harmonious thing? And that was what he went and he had a rapprochement with his son. Yeah. Yeah. That, that in the, in the sense of the, in the, in the, the vibratory sense in the sense of that, of that universal harmony, was actually
0: more important than then he had a couple more months to live. Yeah. That's, that's one of the, my yeah, reading of it. That's one of the reasons why I have a hard time with uh, traditional medicine, because it doesn't know when to say when. That's right. Uh, and with my uncle uh, talking, speaking about uh, harmony, uh, to your example, I, I think that, that your explanation in that regard is is quite profound in that respect, that he— if there was any kind of rift between he and his son, i don't know, but they must have worked it out. If there wasn't, then it was just a time to say, "Hey, you know, I'm I'm going to be leaving soon and I'd like to impart to you maybe some wisdom or maybe no. we'll have some fun and some laughs." Uh, uh you know, what I don't know what transpired there. All i know is that as as you uh, kind of l- overlay that with, with your explanation, um, there was uh, a further uh, furthering of the connection between the two of them. And then he was then harmonized by leaving that body. Yeah. He was no longer in, if he was in pain, he was no longer in pain. That's it's one of the interesting aspects. And I had an experience at the, at the Christian station back in, um, I don't know, it was maybe the late 80s, early 90s. I was born legally blind. Uh, 2400 in my left eye, 2200 in my right. Uh, in 1996, I had a lens implant in my right eye, and now I'm driving. But at that time, uh, I was uh, I was wearing glasses, uh, not real thick ones, but glasses. I was using magnifying glasses to to cue up records sometimes and do all of the things that I would do that I'd even do today. Uh, I even missed some of those days of the of the China marker and the razor blade and so forth. And uh, we were doing a prayer program. And uh, the people came into the control room following the show and they said, we'd like to, uh, we'd like to pray for your healing. We, you know, we'd like to lay hands on you and pray for your healing. Now, bear in mind, this is where I was at at the time. And I said, uh, I, I appreciate what you want to do. Uh, because the way they phrased it was like, they, we want to restore your, your eyesight. Well, the problem with that was that they would restore it back to the way it was when I was brought into this world, which would have was even worse than, than it was then. <laughs> so I said, no. I said, I appreciate it, but my purpose in life is not to be healed. My purpose in life is to serve, to, to do what I'm doing for you uh, and, and so forth. I can't stop you from praying for me. And again, I do appreciate it. Uh, God knows where I live. And hey, I'll even take a collect call. Okay. I mean, again, this, is, this, was, uh-huh. this was where I was at at the time. And because some people have said, how could you refuse for the, to have them pray? I said, well, I, actually, I didn't refuse because I can't stop them. If they're, gonna, if they're going to, they're going to. But I just, I, I was in touch with uh, and aware of what my life's purpose at that time, and even to this day, was and is. That's part of where you come from and where you want people to come from when they first recognize that they want healing there's that self-awareness isn't there
1: yeah because it also strikes me uh rich that you were in touch with you said your life purpose and if you're born that way that in my world i would call that a karma you came into this world to learn through Mm -hmm. the body that you were given right and for some reason, and look, interesting, I have a, it's not the same, exactly the same, but when I was eight years old, I had an operation on my left eye. My mother thought I was cockeyed. When I was 15, I almost went blind in my left eye. When I was, uh, uh, and it came back mostly. Mm-hmm. So, and, right, so I was born in 1950, so we're talking about when 1958, and then uh uh nineteen sixty-five. Nineteen eight and ninety-four, I was sitting in Brazil in on a log in a big open room with a cement floor, two hundred and fifty people in a ceremony meditating hmm. praying. In the center is a table shaped like a six-point star, and around that table are what we call in the path the luminaries, the leaders of the work. And I know that they are having visions and seeing things that I can't even imagine. And so because I was raised Jewish, Jews get to, we get to uh, argue with God. <laughs> we argue with God, right? Right? Uh, 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 like Catholics, Christians don't argue with God because you're going to go to hell. We argue with God. So I'm there, I'm bitching to God. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying... I want to see, I want to see how come everybody sees because somehow in the spiritual world is seeing is better. I want to see, I want to see, I want to see blah, 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 blah. And an energy comes through the top of my head, like a plunger Mm -hmm. on a, on a syringe and forces my, my consciousness to the center of my chest. And a voice says to me, clear as a bell, when you live here, you'll see everything.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I understood that I came to earth in this time not to see, but to, I had to learn how to feel. I had yeah. to learn how to intuit because, for whatever reasons, past lives, blah blah blah. And so that's what became my prayer. My prayer wasn't anymore to see. My prayer was to learn to live through my heart. It still is every day. Yeah. And as a result, I see way more than I used to. Yeah. My internal eye, with my whatever you call my clairvoyant vision. So I'm I'm relating, you know, uh, to your story. In that way, so somehow you intuitively knew
0: that that wasn't what that wasn't what it was about. Yeah, it was very beautiful. And Super. I've often, uh, and I I coined the phrase for myself, uh, perceived limitation. It's only a limitation if I allow it to be one. If I perceive for that sure. it is, then it is. If I perceive that it isn't. Then it isn't. This is Tell Me Your Story New Paradigms for a New World. We are talking with uh, Jonathan M. Goldman, and he is uh, the co founder of the Essential Light Institute uh, up in Oregon. Uh, and uh, we're talking about uh, all of these different aspects of. What it means, of course, in this context, as we're talking, to be a healer uh, and also to uh, be a healer to self. And I want to talk more about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story New Paradigms for a New World, that is here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com, as well as this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. Uh, we're also uh, podcasting these programs. On uh, SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations. We're also on YouTube. You can watch us chat away if uh, if that so interests you. Uh, I have uh, watched a few uh, interviews uh, with people, and they can be quite interesting uh, when you get to see the faces. Uh, although there are those who probably would think... It's kind of like watching paint dry. That's okay. Then come watch the paint dry. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun, and you will learn something, I promise you. We are uh, in a conversation here as we continue with um, our conversation with Jonathan Goldman. Uh, something that occurred to me, you know, I asked the question, what is healing? And, of course, harmonizing, be, getting back in harmony with... And you mentioned something about how Jews get to argue with God. And the thought occurred to me that, well, Catholics and or Christians, they don't argue, they negotiate. Uh, You know, (laughs) please, God, if you'll just do this, I will do that. Uh, Which also, you know, doesn't work. But there's that aspect of uh, heaven and hell. And if there are those who believe in that, I respect your belief. I respect the fact that you believe that. Uh, But at the same time... I went through something, and I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, Jonathan. It's called life between lives. Uh, it was so profound to me that I mention it quite often on this program. And I went through a, a conscious hypnosis. I was fully aware of what was happening, and I um, I went through the 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 death of the last lifetime into this area called between lives, life between lives. Where I didn't go through any judgment. I uh, actually uh, the way they lay it out, and, and Dr. Newton, who is his name, he's the one who sort of uh, no. uh, uh, f- sort of uh, spearheaded and discovered this particular aspect of of existence. I'll put it in that sense. There's a period of time where you might stay here, disembodied here on Earth for a short time. Then you might go. You, then you cross over, and then there's a period of rest, okay? Uh, in human terms, who knows? I don't know how long it would be. And then there is actually a time of education. Yes, you go back and you kind of review your past life, the life that you just left behind, to, and see, did I learn what I needed to learn? And do I need to go back again and learn something more? You know, who knows? And then there is the decision whether or not to return, Now, you don't have to, but they are going to do everything in their power on the other side to convince you that it is important and imperative that you return because you have information, you have messages, you have insights and wisdom that the world needs. And it's along those lines of James Redfield in his Celestine Prophecy who says that we have messages one for the other. And... When I think of the concept of heaven and what that's supposed to be, oh, we'll be in the, you know, see the face of God and what, we'll mingle? I mean, is that, is there nothing more to eternity than mingling with your lost relatives? Which I'm not criticizing, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but it's like after living in this world, yeah, I might want a little bit of a rest, but... You know, I'm a curious kind of guy and I like to think that curiosity is more than just in my ego personality that will disappear and that my essence doesn't have that aspect. So what are what are your uh, concepts, uh, philosophies in terms of the next world, even if we, we will mutually agree in the belief of reincarnation that we'll come back? That space between those lives... And that existence. What what's your what are your experiences? I don't know if you've had out of body or near death experiences. Many people on this program have, uh, but give us your insights.
1: So first of all, uh, I loved uh, Michael Newton's first book uh, when it came out. I read it, and the person who I referred to, who took me to Brazil, who was a very his name was Jose Rosa, and he was a uh, he was my teacher, my friend, my mentor, mm-hmm. um, and a very illuminated person so i read the book and we were on a plane actually we were on a plane going from boston to new york at one point i hand him the book and he thumbs through it and he hands it back and he says yeah that's how it is (laughs) (laughs) like that (laughs) so uh if and actually the first part of my book the first uh chapter of my book uh is based on my own journey in that that life between lives thing Mm
0: -hmm. right yeah
1: like the 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 image in the in the scene so i i uh and of course you know it it, it's more elaborate than we have time to talk about sure uh i absolutely look the the images of religion are uh cartoons Mm -hmm. are mostly cartoons in the sense of archetypal Uh, images created for mass consumption with, unfortunately, in many cases, such as the the concept of hell, uh, agendas behind it. Right? Everything that is channeled by a human being comes through a filter of that person. And we all have our prejudices. We have cultural prejudice built into us, right? What I call prisms, Mm -hmm. filters, we have filters. So based on my, pre, my uh, preconceived notions, the interpretation of something that is pure and it, it comes from a pure place is going to be twisted. It's always going to be twisted a little bit. I, I accept that. I accept that when I receive something and something comes through, I do the absolute best I can to make it as pure and as unsullied by my own filters as possible but i always give that caveat right so i like you i have that um i have that that same experience the same vision i get to see for some reason everybody has their thing i get a lot to see people on the other side Mm. it happens in dreams super clear and sometimes, when you know people will die, and uh, particularly in a ceremony, we'll get to see their transition. And it, it, it's it, it's what you say. There's a there's a period of of hanging around the earth, and there are people who, because they don't know that they're dead, or they die traumatically, they can hang around for a while. Yeah, you know, and people call them ghosts and whatever, but they're they they are confused and there are spiritual works that and some people are given this job to help those ones get oriented get oriented to what you're saying get oriented to the to the program of review Mm -hmm. rest there are hospitals on the other side this is one thing actually that michael newton also came out in his stuff but there are hospitals on the other side people who uh, I'll give you an example my mother-in-law who died and she had uh, dementia and also on earth she was she it wasn't a she wasn't mentally ill but she wasn't a happy person and she had lots of things to resolve and and which she didn't when she went to the other side she actually went to a mental hospital a kind of mental hospital where she could rest and she was just treated so tenderly and so happily and could recover, her soul could recover from what was actually a pretty traumatic life on earth. And then she went on to the review and whatever was going to happen for her. Uh and I got to see that. I came to me in a dream, it was super clear. And um so I think the and I also agree with you. I don't think we just go in, you know, romp in the Elysian fields. I don't think that's what it is. Each one of our souls has a particular uh, proclivity. Mm -hmm. So my, I am a student. I'm a student. I'm, uh, I am a a, a learner. That's how I characterize myself here. Yeah. Okay. I'm a healer and I'm a teacher and blah, blah, blah. But really I'm a student and I am that there also. Mm -hmm. I'm studying spiritual things. I'm studying esoteric things. And then I come back to this life, and my job in this life is to keep learning, keep learning, keep learning, to let go of all the concepts, to let go of all that religions. I've done religions many, many, many times, and to step into something that is more, I experience as more more archetypal, more pure, more beyond all those concepts. That's my job in this life, and then to teach that. And then I'll go to the other side, and I'll realize how much stuff I got wrong.
0: Yeah. Well, I have to say, as we're talking about this, that what comes to mind now, uh, and you've probably seen this more than once, uh, is a wonderful film that's 30 years old, but I think still stands the test of time, called Defending Your Life with Albert Brooks and Meryl Streep. For sure. It's a great film. And I want to be Meryl, uh, who goes to the other side and is just having a blast doing whatever she wants, eating whatever she wants, having those incredible experiences <laughs> instead of Albert who is scared out of his mind that if he answers wrong in these reviews that he'll be cast into the lake of fire when in fact all they're doing is trying to get him to watch and, and give give them some insight into what he went through, what he experienced. It, uh-huh. it, wasn't, it wasn't judgment day. Now, uh, I myself... <laughs> uh in in dealing with that concept okay i have um i i came up with this many years ago and this was even the late years of the christian station uh stint that i did i came to this conclusion for myself and again everything that i refer to in 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 my observations and opinions are for me i don't put these on other people i'm not saying it's the truth it's just where i'm at if there is indeed a judgment day where I stand before God to justify getting into heaven. Uh, I have two responses for the Almighty. First of all, I hope it's Bruce Almighty. Uh, that would be fun. But uh, the first one is uh, I, I did the best I could with the life you gave me. And if it doesn't measure up, uh, quite honestly, there's nothing I can say or do at this point now that I'm dead that's gonna convince you to let me in through the pearly gates where St. Peter is getting ready to put the hand stamp on my my hand. So, you know, my fate is in your hands. The second response is, you being all-knowing, omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent, uh, you knew that this was going to happen. You set this all up from the beginning. So in the final analysis, this is all on you, <laughs> not me. And I don't mean to be blasphemous or disrespectful, but that's where I'm coming from if that is true, because there's nothing I can do when I'm dead and gone. And then we hear this all the time. Did they, did they make a, a, deathbed, a deathbed salvation? Uh, did they find Jesus uh, before they passed? Yes or no, you know, kind of thing. Well, you know, I, I was asked, I was talking with someone years uh, during that time, and uh, I says, yeah, you know, uh, um, I'm on my search. And they says, well, once you found Jesus, your search is over. And I looked at him and I said, well, actually, now that i found Jesus, my search has just begun. And it continues as a metaphysician, as I like to call myself. So, that's kind of where I'm coming from. From, from uh, you, how much of your... How do I put this? Is it Jewishness or Judaism? Uh, how much of that is still a part of your life? I am.
1: I was born into that. I have it in my bones, in my blood. Mm-hmm. I am i uh, I've never rejected it. A, lots of things in my personality and my perspective come from that. I'm totally interested in it. It's not my present uh Spiritual affiliation. My mm-hmm. spiritual affiliation is with the spiritual path that I met in the the mountains of Brazil that I encountered in the Amazon forest. Mm-hmm. It's called the Santo Daime. It's a it's a spiritual path located in the the Amazon forest. And trust me, it's not anything I ever thought I would be involved in. Uh, it's basically uh, the way I put it is it's a, a an esoteric Gnostic Christian path mm. and so everything that you're saying resonates with me also uh, also i think you're pointing out the fundamental um, what do you want to call it uh conundrum mm-hmm. of mainstream christianity if if there is such a being such a god that is all those omni things mm-hmm. then what's the problem I'm just doing what I was designed to do the best I can do it. So how would that one condemn me for learning what I'm learning? Yeah. And part of the way I learn is by messing up. Yeah. If We don't mess up. How are we going to learn? You know, if you never make it, you know, uh, if I don't make any mistakes uh, and, it, and even what is a mistake, my mistake is yeah. falling short of what. God in me would do if God in me was fully, completely manifested, embodied, and present. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I have been so intrigued by my path and my search in that my search sort of began more so at the age of 17 when I read Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm-hmm. And over the last uh, 43 years, I actually have the math right this time. <laughs> actually, it'll be 44 probably uh, this summer of 2021. Um, as I have studied and read and researched and done all of these different things in many different areas, I was a Baha'i for a short time. Uh, I am still uh, working to study uh, uh, the Muslim faith, Islam, uh, from the Quran. Uh, I'm uh, also interested in Buddhism and and in the, the the various philosophies that are that are a part of this world and finding that you know those common threads, which there they are there. Um, but in the final analysis, you know, it's interesting. None of that really matters. I mean, all the book learning in the world isn't going to help you in the next world because it doesn't matter. It's, it's, it's like I put it this way, um, Jonathan. Uh, and again, you know, when you say I mean no disrespect, uh, it sounds like I'm going to be disrespectful. And that's not my intent. <laughs> but the concepts of freedom and liberty and uh, property ownership and all of those things that uh, make up what is the um, American philosophy, if you will, from, a, from a, an institutional documentary, a document-oriented uh, life uh, is neither good nor bad. But in the final analysis from the spiritual or metaphoric, uh, metaphysical, beyond the physical, uh, uh, experience, they're irrelevant. You don't own anything. You don't even own this body because you're going to leave it any more than you really own the car that you drive. Because eventually you're either going to stop driving it and get a new one or it'll be the last one. And then, of course, you leave this world. Uh, There's no real freedom. There's no real liberty other than what you believe and you think you have. And that's not to say that I believe in predestination, I, I, because, you know, you made the example, uh, you, you, you alluded to the fact that, you know, hey, I'm just here, I'm just following, I'm just following the, the blueprint. But then that what that says is if there is a blueprint, if there is that, then doesn't seem like life has much meaning, maybe no meaning at all, because if I'm just following a script, you know, what am I doing? And why is there an afterlife? What's the point? I mean, there are some who say, well, there is nothing. It just lights out. And I say, well, you do realize that if it is lights out and there is nothing after this, you're never going to know that. But my brain that I was given by the creator, whoever he, she, they is, are, um, tells me that there's something more because it, it just doesn't make any sense to me that we go through all of this and we go through all of the foibles and the mistakes and the successes and, and the experiences and, and the friendships in the community. And then there's nothing. It's just it, that just makes no sense to me.
1: Yeah, it's absurd.
0: It, it's like studying for uh, to become a nuclear power plant operator. But there aren't any. <laughs> huh? Excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, agree. let me ask you about uh, what you uh, – now, you began your search, if you will. I was 16 at the time you started your search in 1976. That's what I will call it, okay? Uh-huh. But I'm curious as to what kind of work – job you had before diving in headlong into this incredible world that you now have actually you have you have co-created
1: yeah what what work i did before yeah,
0: what 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 kind of were you a, a bricklayer did you were you an accountant well, a lawyer I did, uh,
1: <laughs> what i said really you know i did lots of different things yeah. i worked in i lived in boston right so i lived i worked in the, the what they call the harvard coop the 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 harvard bookstore blah blah Mm -hmm. and then i worked with alcoholics which showed me uh that job ended actually when one day at three o'clock in the morning uh the cops had brought in a a guy who was violently drunk and um i was literally rolling on the floor with this guy holding him and he's screaming cursing at me i'm going to kill you and what I was saying inside was, not before I kill you.
0: <laughs>
1: and I thought, oops, I'm done. Mm. I'm done. Mm. I'm burned. I'm burned. Right? Uh, and then that led me to the to starting acupuncture. So I started uh, studying acupuncture when I was 25 years old. Mm. So really, that was because I was always looking I was looking I was looking like yeah. what, what do I want to do and I had a thing always I wanted to be like on the forefront I didn't want to do what was assigned to me what was assigned to me was to be a lawyer because my father had been a lawyer and all of that and the first time I got arrested in a in a demonstration in in the in 1960s I was literally looking through the bars of the, I was in jail, and I'm looking through, and I'm looking at the 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 cops and the lawyers talking together, and I thought, oh no, that's not what I'm going to do. I know
0: which side of the bars I'm on. <laughs> right? I like that. That's very good. It was, it
1: was literally that was my thought, yeah. you know. And I, I was 19. I was I wasn't even 19. I was 18 years old. Yeah. So that started, and then that started this this, this quest that I didn't even know was a quest.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was. Always guided, always like following intuition. Uh, I want to refer to something you said. Right? I don't think there's a blueprint. There's an outline.
0: Okay, I like that. I like that. That gives us a little bit of uh, supposed freedom. <laughs> no,
1: we do. I think we have lots of choice. But but yeah. what we are choosing about,
0: yeah,
1: is laid out for us. Mm-hmm. But what we choose, no. What kind of a game would it be if there if if it was a phony choice? It's not a phony choice. Yeah. It, there are choices. I've had choice points. You have, everybody I meet. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, you know, well, I, and the, but the trick is, of course, most of the time we have to choose without, without, uh, nearly a full, uh, information.
0: And that's why I encourage people to use their intuition. And when I talk about that, I also talk about the decade of perfect vision called the 2020s, which I encourage people to spend the time over the next nine years or eight and a half years, whatever it may be, but beyond that as well, going within, not only to find that quiet, still, calm, peaceful place where they can refresh, rejuvenate, uh, you know, just recenter but also to listen to that still small voice. I've even had experiences, which I'm sure you have had too, where I am being prompted to go a particular direction and I'm sitting there going, really? That's gonna take me so far out of my way. And I will actually, I did this once, I actually continued down the road about a half a mile and it just wouldn't go away. Now, it was still my choice. I still could have continued the way I was going. I turned around. I went back, I made the turns that I was asked to make, I got back on my original path once I had finished those turns, and I got to work. I have no idea why I was being prompted. Other, The only explanation that I personally can come up with is, we're just checking to see if you really trust us, okay? Yep. We just want to make sure that you believe what you're telling everybody else. Uh, I don't believe that that still small voice will ever put you in harm's way will it challenge you well that was a pretty big challenge for me because that meant that instead of traveling the additional mile and a half that i had left i had to travel four miles out of my way in order to get back on my path to work you know who does that i mean come on who does that and there were no detours you know the roadway was freaking clear uh so yeah that's what we encourage people to do uh, on this program is is spend that time. I mean honestly what have you got to lose? Because we're infinite beings some would say well you know you have all the time in the world. Well on the one hand that's true on the other hand you, there is no time. There is no time. It's infinite we are infinite beings, and that's something that I'd like to touch upon before we wrap up here, and that is the infinity of in, of existence. I mean, even the concept of infinity, we can't wrap our brains around. Yeah, we can make the symbol, the sideways, uh, laying on its side, figure eight, but that's really hard to wrap our heads around because that means if we're infinite, it goes in both directions, as it were, in the concept of time, a, a human construct what what are what are your thoughts in that regard to our inf- infinite existence
1: we have built into us the mechanism of accessing that what you are saying which is absolutely true which is our heart mm. the heart has the is built into it the the vibrational forces that come from and link us to infinity. Compassion, faith, which has nothing to do with religion, Mm -hmm. forgiveness, mercy, self-love, all of those things literally, not metaphorically, are built into the structure of the heart chakra. And by what you referred to earlier, by cultivating that relationship, relationship of my gift of consciousness awareness and choice with the space of my heart i then link myself with though with that infinity Mm. it's within me i thought what you said was super beautiful and really important in this time because the external paradigm has been so disrupted Mm. Right, the way we know ourselves, the way we get feedback from the world, has been completely disrupted, and many people can't hang out in the not knowing of infinity, because infinity is like there's no knowing there. You're just there. You're just there. And so that experience of I I, because I have I cultivate that relation with my heart, I'm comfortable in the not knowing. I'm like okay. I think that's actually a, a more a truthful, uh, uh, honest assessment of reality is not knowing, yeah. right? All these structures that you said we have, you know we have documents and we have property and we have ownership and we have identity as this and this. All of those are, they, they truly don't exist. Money doesn't actually exist. Right. What exists is what we place on it. So to cultivate the relationship with the heart, puts us in vibrational, not ideal, not, not not ideational, vibrational relationship with those spiritual forces. That's the secret of what's built into us. All the sages, right? You refer to all these different lines. They all say, it's all inside you. It's all inside you. So my question was, okay, but where? <laughs> and then they showed me. They showed me where compassion is, where faith is. Where self love is,
0: well, that's and born so, out. That's born out in a poem by uh, an author by the name of Tiberius. Uh huh. And it's a conversation that the gods are having, and they're getting concerned about man uh, finding their finding out about their secret to 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 existence and so forth, what the truth is, and they said we got to hide the truth. Where? Um, how about on a high mountaintop? No, he'll find a way to climb it. How about in the depths of the ocean? No, he'll find a way to get down there. And they go through a litany of things, and finally one of them pipes in and says, I know where, where we'll hide the truth from man. We'll hide it in his heart. He'll never look there. <laughs> hey! Hey! There you go, and that's where you were headed, and that's exactly where it is. Uh, Greg Braden, who we've had on this program, has talked about the heart, and that is the center of emotion, and to emote, to, to put into motion. Uh, uh, Is is to me it's just extraordinary uh, what we have found. We're talking today with Jonathan M. Goldman, founder co-founder of the Essential Light Institute in Oregon, and EssentialLight.org is the website. And I would like to thank you so much. This has been a fascinating conversation. Uh, You also have uh, out there a uh, a book that people can uh, look into as far as excuse me, as far as uh, the work that you are doing. And we encourage people to do that uh, by going to your website, which again is uh, the, the title of the, uh, uh, the, title of the uh, website is EssentialLight.org. The book is entitled Gift of the Body. It's by Jonathan M. Goldman, M-A-C. And the foreword is by uh, Donna Eden. Uh, just real briefly, tell us about uh, Donna Eden.
1: Donna, I met Donna was was one of the first people I met when I moved to Oregon. We spent an afternoon sitting on her roof, uh, drinking tea and talking about spiritual uh, energy things. She's a, a dear friend. She's an amazing, amazing healer. Donna is there's only one Donna. Hmm. Donna is the kind of person if you if you go to her her work, and uh, anybody else being like Donna would be completely phony. And Donna is absolutely the real deal. She's joyful, she's funny, she's brilliant. She's an amazing clairvoyant and healer. So uh, so I asked her to to do the forward of my book. And what was interesting is she was very sick. She had this terrible illness that she had. And uh, and so she told me, oh, I can't do it because I just don't have the time. And I said, okay, I'll tell you what, we're gonna do a distant healing for you so that you can write, <laughs> write the forward to my book. <laughs> And, and, and we did, we did a, a group healing with a bunch of my students. She got way, 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 way better. And then she wrote the forward to my book. So uh, mm-hmm. I have to say that, although I was doing it because I love Donna and she needed healing I, it also, there was self-interest. in it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and there's nothing really wrong with that. There's always self-interest in pretty much everything that we do in spite of the fact that we might say, Oh, Hey, I'm, I, I'm here to be of service. And that's true, but we get something out of that too. Whether whether it's consciously we're consciously aware of it or not, uh, there's that energy exchange, and that is a law of the universe, folks. You cannot escape. If I mean, it's great to say, you know, no, 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 you didn't have to get me that, you know. I just want to. I want to give, 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 give. Well, unfortunately, the mathematical equation that permeates all of the universe, both in this world and the next, is that there cannot be a giver if there is no receiver and vice versa. So, you got to remember that. Jonathan, I have three final questions for you before we let you go. I ask all of my guests, you may have addressed them uh, in the program, in the interview that we've been doing, but I like to ask them directly. Before I do, I want to remind our listeners that uh, this program is here not only on this special edition, but also Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com, as well as on YouTube. You can watch these interviews as well. And uh, then, uh, of course, uh, we ask you if you can do so to financially support us. We have a PayPal and Patreon account for your security as well as ours. And we also ask you to, again, participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. Spend that time going within. And to that, we now go without or uh, we go to our guest. And the first of the three questions that I like to ask Jonathan are... Who is Jonathan M. Goldman?
1: Jonathan Goldman is a a student, uh, a healer, and uh, a father of incredible two incredible human beings who teach me every day. Uh, I am the the husband of an amazing woman who teaches me every day, and I am both a child of the divine, and I am also light in me. So I am that, and I am in relation to to that.
0: What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now?
1: I want to teach people to firm themselves and activate the space of compassion and truth and intuition in their own hearts so they can be Empowered, uh, they can have the answer to that question of where are, th- where is my own self? Who am I from the inside? I don't teach people. I have a method that I teach of of healing, but that's not what I'm teaching. I'm I'm teaching people to awaken in them what I feel so blessed and fortunate has been and is awakening in me.
0: Mm. And finally, what is your life's purpose? To
1: do that, my life's purpose. Well, my life's purpose is uh, apropos of the thing you said earlier. I have my own. For me, to learn that, to learn through my allegiance to my heart that everything is can be healed. Everything is in perfection. But to learn that and embody that, that's my internal, in—in, in for me, mm-hmm. huh? to leave this life having resolved everything that I came to learn and everything I came to do, and externally is to, what I call, embody, bring, and teach the light of Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the other aspects... Not
1: beyond religion... Mm-hmm. The, what I call the Christic light—I'm sure you call
0: it—the yeah, same. Absolutely.
1: Embody that and teach it and show that—that that is what is the salvation of humanity. Yeah. Is linking yeah. through the heart with that because that is beyond ideology, beyond concept, beyond religion, beyond all the opinions and the criticisms and all that. That's where we all are. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I. Hope to teach in my little way, in my little corner. There's many people, you're one of them, teaching the same thing. Thank God, right? (laughs) Imagine, imagine if it was all up to you, it was all up to me. We'd be,
0: the whole thing would be screwed. It would be messed up. (laughs) (laughs) One other thing I'll add to is uh, uh, in terms of uh, going within. One of the ways in which we can be like God, again, uh, not a blasphemous perspective, is because we're asked to do this in the New Testament it says be perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect that perfection has nothing to do with anything uh, doctrinal or dogmatic it has to do with just being just be right here right now that is being perfect even as your father in heaven is perfect and that is just my observation. <laughs>
1: uh, mine too. Jonathan, mine
0: too. thank you again so much for joining us. This has, been a, uh, this has been a blast, and I look forward to having you back again to talk more about these things uh, and your institute. And hopefully, maybe one of these days, my wife and I will pack up the travel trailer and the dog and head up north. Uh, we'll probably stop along the way at Ananda Village in uh, north of uh, 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 Nevada City here in California, which is just outside of Yosemite. Continue on up because we're looking to looking to see more of uh, uh, the redwoods and the forests and, and the coastline along the, uh, the western coast of the United States. So hopefully we'll get a chance to see you.
1: You're, you're very welcome. I live in the woods. I live in a very beautiful place.
0: You're oh. absolutely welcome. Absolutely. Well, thank you. I thank you for listening and watching. Tell me your story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until our next broadcast podcast video cast love talal